folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism in order to find common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And today we've got a very special, albeit a little bit late, episode for Mm. you guys. Uh, We are going to talk about the midterms and the horrendous blue wave that came crashing down on us all to save us from impending doom and disaster. Well, we wanted to keep it fresh. I mean, this is fresh for us. It's not like, you know, I was listening to an old episode today. That time we got Kanye, we're like, we talked about Kanye on Sunday, <laughs> and then he just like, you know, just just diarrhea of the mouth all week, yeah. and then our episode came out on Thursday and it didn't make any sense. So no, this was great. We actually got to let the thing happen and then react to it. That's right. And hopefully this will come out in the next day or two. I don't know if I get, <laughs> get time between all the crazy things I've got to do. Uh, like uh, sleep on the couch and play video games. No, wait. Writing code in your underwear. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Um, so, so what's happened? Let's, let's talk about it. Uh, did the blue wave come? Did we get what we were expecting? Did the Dems even get a win here? Well, uh, let's see. Yeah. Uh, the second one, yes, we did get what we were expecting and did they get a win? Yeah, I think so. As far as a blue wave, I I don't think you can call what happened a blue wave, right? Like, so if you look at it, what, what basically happened was the how the Democrats flipped a bunch of house seats. They flipped yep. enough to take control of the house. And yet the Republicans still won all the Senate races. And when you look at the Senate races, you know, that is a statewide election. That's closer to something like a general election. So even in places where, you know, the, the Democrats were picking up house seats, they were still at the same time losing the big statewide elections, like right. Florida, for instance, you know. And uh, governors, you know, I mean, they did all right, but at the same time, it wasn't overwhelming. So we saw Andrew Gillum lose. Uh, it looks like Stacey Abrams lost down in Georgia. Now, there's, oh, God. There's, there's, I want her to keep fighting because I hate <laughs> Kemp and his tactics here were just absolutely disgusting and, and uh, undefendable, I think. So, so keep fighting a good fight, girl, but yeah. it looks like it's lost, man. I mean, it's, they're, they're at like 1.6%. Yeah, 1.6%. Right and it gets, it gets to the, you know, even with a, a recount and everything, I, I don't know if they're going to find the 60, 70,000 votes. That's the difference between them. I mean, maybe but, if they look at the polling places that didn't have, you know, cords for their voting machines. Yeah, yeah. Or, and, and, you know, and, and here's the thing. We talked, we talked about Kemp a couple weeks ago uh, down in Georgia and all the shady stuff that he's done. Um, I would not be surprised at all if Kemp had done those things. But you know what's interesting to me is every election now, it seems, you have all these stories about stuff that happens on election day, right? Oh, well, they're locking people out over here. There's voting machines and warehouses over there and stuff. Yep, yep. And then the next day, all those stories kind of go away. Now, Here's the question, right? Like, why are we not still driving those home? If that's what actually happened, then let's keep talking about it. It doesn't go away the next day. Well, I think because there's really no way to hold someone accountable if, if you know, voting machines in certain precincts show up without power cords, you know, you don't pin that on, on Kemp unless you can find an email chain that says, like, you know, his people planning to do this to specific precincts. Like, you're going to be real lucky if you find the smoking gun well, like that. Like, I'm saying if you think that's what's happened strongly enough that you're going to make the allegation or whatever, then, like, let's file suit. Let's subpoena the records and stuff. Let's find yeah, out. Let's. You I know wish, what I mean? I wish like, we would. I'm cool with it. I mean, if, the, if he did that, let's nail him. And I'm not, I'm not. 
I am not standing up for that man. Like I'm, you know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. That's not the case I'm trying to make, but it seems like we get all bent out of shape on election day. And then the next day, like all that stuff kind of fades off. And there's people who still beat the drum. Trust me. I've seen them out there. God bless them. They're yeah. doing great work. Uh, there are people still bird dogging what happened to Bernie in the primaries back in 2016. <laughs> I mean, they're out there, but, but they don't get enough of a signal boost. And it, it, it almost, to me, it undermines the credibility of the argument. If you're all going to, if, if the left, if you're going to have like salon and all those places, make all that noise on election day, bring it up during the next election, but say nothing about it in between yeah. other than to reference it and say, Oh, well, you know, there's voter suppression stuff, right? Well, like what voter suppression, what are we doing? Let's, let's go yeah, ahead and file the charges. Yeah. Let's, you know what I mean? Like, don't just bring it up at each election to kind of cast aspersions on it. You right, know what I mean? Right. No, I, I totally agree with you. I, I thought it was really interesting, though. I mean, you say that that Dems got a win in the House. You know, of course, they they have control now, mm -hmm. uh, so to speak. But historically, Trump lost less House seats than either Clinton or Obama at their midterms. And he gained three Senate seats, which, as I right. understand it, is totally unprecedented right. for a president at his midterm. Well, right? Yeah. I mean, Clinton and Obama lost six and eight seats. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so So to gain three... All the while losing uh, less than than would than a typical incumbent would would lose seems yeah. like a win for Trump to me. Well, it's kind of it's it's so yeah. So actually, if you look at it like numbers wise, this actually matches up really nicely with what happened to Reagan in 1982 as far as like the seats that the Dems won. Okay, that's about how many seats the Dems won under Reagan in '82, two years into his first term. Reagan was president for six more years. Mm. Reagan dominated the eighties. His agenda dominated the eighties. So like that, that's kind of the thing is like, you can't say that the Democrats didn't have any success the other day, but I think we all kind of had this impression. Let me tell you something, watching the cable news shows and stuff on Tuesday night, they had the impression that there was going to be this monumental historic thing. Right. And to tell you the truth, if you look at it historically, it doesn't even stack up to what the Republicans pulled off in 2010 hmm. under Obama. In 2010 under Obama, the Republicans took 63 House seats. Right. You know what I'm saying? Flipped legislatures. <laughs> now, the Democrats here, they flipped, uh, let's see, they got six more trifectas now. So they What have, is a trifecta? A trifecta is a state where you've got a Democratic governor, House, and Senate. Okay. Uh, so they, they've picked up six. I think that puts their total number of states that they have a trifecta in up to like 13 versus the Republicans 22 gotcha. or something like that. And, uh, and yeah, they flipped some, they flip overall. I think they flipped seven chambers. So they picked up 333, uh, you know, state legislature seats there, there was a wave. There was like, you know, this, this blue thing, but it doesn't, it doesn't come through with what we thought was going to be. The ultimate repudiation of Trump. Well, that's what I was really looking for here. And I heard, I started hearing people say, oh, 68% higher voter turnout. You know, I don't know what the actual numbers were, yeah. but people, you know, people have been saying that this is higher, a higher voter turnout than, than ever. And I think everyone kind of assumed that all these people at home sitting on their hands uh, were going to vote liberal. Right. Um, and maybe that's the case. Maybe they were they were mostly in big cities. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. So that effect didn't really uh, didn't well, really bubble up. They said turnout was high across the board. I was hearing that all day Tuesday, and I was thinking, oh wow, so the blue waves happening because you got to think like in this context, if voter turnout was high on Tuesday, that that means yeah, that the wave is happening. So I fully expected the wave to happen. Well, it turns out 
that turnout wasn't high just because one side showed up. Turnout right. was high because both sides showed up. <laughs> that's right. That's you right. Know? And that's what I think. That's what I think is really interesting here because we assume a lot about the world around us based on what's happening on social media, um, you know, based on what's happening in the media. And I, and I think there is a, a liberal bias in the media. There's a liberal bias in social media. So I think when we assume, oh, just get more people out to the polls and our side are going to, I think it's a, it's a poor assumption. Yeah. And yeah. It, you know, you're really, you're really shooting yourself in the foot in some cases saying, come on out and vote. Cause yeah, old, yeah. old Stacy down the way, well, she going to come out and vote. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she going to yeah. come out and vote red, baby. Well, and especially like, yeah, I mean, how much, so how much a Republican turnout was because they expected a blue wave. Right. So, I mean, that's, mm. I mean, think of that. That's the thing is like pretty much since Trump won, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe three or four months after it was like, oh, well, at the midterms. And I got to tell you, I was right there. I was like, oh, he's, he's going to get creamed at the midterms. Think about back when he won, man. People were, <laughs> ki- kids were like leaving class. They were crying the next day. I was scratching my head like until ever. it bled. I'll tell you what, man. I, I was walking <laughs> around bewildered the day after Trump won. And, and so, like, and if I was there, you have to imagine that there's just all these angry Democrats. They're just ready to go. But things have happened over the last last couple of years. I mean, it's hard not to say that in some respects, the Democratic Party uh, fumbled things. Mm. Uh, but also, I think everybody... I think it's like trendy right now to say it's the caravan that, that motivated <laughs> the Republican voters or whatever. That's, that's the trendy thing that people are saying. I, man, I think it's Kavanaugh straight up. You think I, it's Kavanaugh? I really do. I think it's a little of both. And, and I think, I think when you tell people that the sky is falling and the sky doesn't fall, right. I think a lot of people go into like questioning mode and defensive mode. Like you guys told us America would be in, in dust in two years if we elected Trump now here we are. The economy's at least doing well. Yeah. You know, unemployment is down. So what do you? You know, it it makes people question, and I think yeah. it drives people to the polls too, as as well. And I think, I think a lot of these attacks and stuff from the left will drive people to the polls. They're going to feel like, um, you know, they're they're being dehumanized. Mm-hmm. They're being, uh, you know, they're being hated on or whatever. You got. You got Christians going, oh, there's a war on Christmas and stuff. And they all feel now that they're vindicated. Yeah. You know, because of all these all these attacks. I don't know, man. It just it's it seems like everything is coalescing um to to both strengthen Trump and 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 weaken Democrats. It that's yeah. just what it looks like here. And well, and I'm sad, but let me let me say though, I am I am happy that the Democrats took the House and and it it's kind of this like love hate thing for me mm-hmm. because I hate to see obstruction. You know what I'm saying? I don't like a government that just obstructs for the sake sake of obstruction. But when you've got a, a party that's crazy in power, it's nice to at least have someone that can check that power. So at least we get this check in the house now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a good thing. I think if the house had flipped Republican, we would see the worst side of, of the Republican party come out in full force. Yeah. I I think, I think what would have made it worse is yes. If they'd have won this midterm, it would have been like a full endorsement of everything you guys are doing is great. Keep it up. And yeah, it would have just gotten worse. Um, at the same time, like the, the obstruction thing, I'm not saying that the Republicans didn't get things done the last two years. Okay. There, there's a couple things that they got done, but the Republicans did not score victories and successes like somebody would act if they had mm. the presidency 
and the Senate and the House. You know what I mean? Like, like there was actually a lot of pushback uh, from their side in that we we gave you both houses in the White House. Like, when are you going to do all these things you said you were going to right. do? Fair now, enough. Now, what they did was damaging enough. But one of the things I want to make sure that we we don't gloss over is like what we're saying. What I'm saying anyway is that what happened Tuesday night doesn't live up to the hype. Okay. Now that is not to say that there aren't uh, various, very obvious indicators that the Democrats have made strides and uh, really push back against Trump. And especially when you start looking at suburban voters in the Midwest, in the Rust Belt, uh, he got creamed and like, and I don't know that he would, uh, you know, with the exception of uh, Indiana, I think, you know, which is where one of the senators flipped, but like Michigan and Wisconsin and stuff, if we were talking about a general election based on that, what we saw Tuesday night, he would not have won those states this time. Right. And so if you're Trump, that's something you have to worry about going into 2020. You know what I mean? I, what makes this really interesting for me is I thought if the Democrats had their blue wave, I thought that they would be in danger come 2020 because I felt like it kind of like that pendulum we like talked about. It like would that, swing back. That hard blue red. wave would make, you know, everybody on the right be like, well, damn, shit fire. We got to go vote, you know? <laughs> and, and I was afraid, you know, I thought if they got whomped, then, you know, that would help. Like, cause then in 2020, they'd be like, right. For they're going to come back. Knuckle even down. Yeah. Right. This, I, I, man, I think this is what things are like now. It's, it's kind of, we won, but not as much as you would think. And I mean, the Republicans are kind of the same way. Like we picked up Senate seats, but we still got cream. Well, maybe over here. maybe the pendulum's slowing down. And I and I think it was it was real interesting watching Trump uh, in the press conference that you know Acosta got <laughs> that Acosta accosted a reporter at. No, we're not going to talk about that today. But uh, it was interesting because I feel like his tone was softer than normal. Yeah. Um, I really feel like he toned it down. Um, you know, he made some comments that were that were even becoming of a president. I thought mm. you know, you're like, eh, maybe not so much. And I'm like, yeah. not so much too. But but no, really, it was a different it was a different tone from him. So maybe the pendulum is actually slowing down, and maybe we'll see. Uh, you know, like Trump said, some efforts to reach across the aisle. In bipartisanship, we, we <laughs> didn't even compliment Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, <laughs> no, he did, and and we will, we will undoubtedly. I mean, hell, that night he was, you know, starting to talk about bipartisanship and stuff, and it's just, it's, it's really. Uh, <laughs> he told a reporter she asked him a racist question. Yeah, no. so that was kind of. It was funny because there was some there was some flip flops there. I was like, oh, he's almost starting to look press. Oh no, 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 oh not no, quite. but no, no. I mean, I think you know, I think it's just shell game. I think I think he's just he's gonna he's gonna do what's expected of him to make it look like he's trying, so that then he can turn around and say they won't work with me. And yeah, so, yeah, I did think the Pelosi thing was funny because if okay, if the man, if ever there were a time that that man actually did play ninety six D chess or whatever, you know, like we always joke around. That was it. That yeah. was the, the Pelosi thing was like, oh, no, I think Pelosi should definitely be your speaker. I mean, think about here in Kentucky, man. Andy Bard just beat McGrath. That's right. By, by tying her to Pelosi. It, like hardcore. His, That attack ad was wild, man, because it wasn't even attacking 
McGrath, it was no, attacking it was. Nancy Pelosi <laughs> yeah. and, and acting like Nancy Pelosi was Amy McGrath. Yeah, and, no. and it worked. And you know, they, they talk about doing that as a strategy, but I don't know if I've ever heard an ad that was like, it was, it was like listening to an anti-Nancy Pelosi ad yeah, straight up. It was. Yeah, no, it was intense. <laughs> I think um, one, of the, one of the shames, if you're on the right and if you are a conservative, is that there is no way to look at this election and not say that the GOP... Uh, didn't get more Trumpian. Uh, it, it, man, if you factor in all the people who retired because they didn't want to run in this midterm, people like Jeff Flake, uh, people like Paul Ryan, and you know there was there was a host of others. Um, and then look at who won and who lost. Like uh, it's it's hard to deny the effect that Trump had, especially within the last month, because pretty much every candidate that embraced him and had him come and rally mm. for him won. And a slew of the ones that didn't, uh, didn't make it. Wow. And, and, you know, those are the people in the Republican party who would stand up to what Trump is trying to do. And they're gone now. That's the worst you part know? of this to me is like, let's, yeah. let's embrace the liar. Let's embrace the cheater. Let's, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's not, that's not what we want here. And you got to ask yourself why I don't think most of the Americans voting for Trump, you know, want a liar in chief. Yeah. I, I don't think, you know what I'm saying? Is that really the case that well, like, Everyone's just evil over there. Like, <laughs> he's such a troll liar. Like, get him. Like, I, I just, I, I can't. I think there's something, to, there's something to be said about the, the assuredly, about the terrible psychology um, that, that Trump is, is in, you know, injecting into this base. The idea that winning is every, you know, winning, got to be winning, MAGA and all that, all that shit. Um, but I think there's also something to be said for it's really hard to campaign uh, and when, when you're saying, I'm not cool with what's going on with the people that I'm cool with, you know what mm, I mean? What like, mean it's hard. Like, so if I come out and I'm, I'm trying to campaign and I say, yes, I'm with Trump MAGA, we're going to do this. I'm confident. I have a vision. If I come out and I'm like, the dude at the top of this thing is, is a trash fire, but I promise we're we're good people. <laughs> I see what you're you know, saying. but we we you're, we're going to run it on out. the Republican yeah, platform. You've got to you got to yeah. jump on. Meanwhile, board. the guy on the other side gets to say, you know, Trump is all. You're right. Trump is awful, and I'm the better troll. You know, so it's really hard to campaign that way. So does that excuse them? No, I mean, I think you got to take a stand against Trump, even if that means losing. I, I you know, I think it's reached that point. I think you got to say no, but at the same time, I that's something that reflects on us. And I think that we we could do a little bit better to recognize stuff like that. Like you know, some of these some of these candidates um, that that didn't make it were, like I said, voices of reason in the Republican Party, and they're gone now. And hopefully, the Democrat that you did elect uh, is is good and not just not a Republican. Right. That's you know what, what I mean. I, that's what I'm hoping here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So speaking of uh, shady people that we elected, <laughs> uh, the list is long. Yeah, let's. Uh, I don't know. Let's let's go around the room and give a big round of applause to uh, the people in these various localities who elected these all stars. Yeah, our our good friend Bob Melendez. Yes, uh, he got uh, elected there. Uh, that was the guy who had a uh, federal corruption trial. Yeah. He was uh, the, the whole guy thing his, about the the ethics committee and accepting gifts from wealthy ophthalmologists in yes, return his for ophthalmologist political favors. Buddy was giving him money and flying him down to private resorts 
And in turn, he was getting, uh, you know, political considerations. Uh, Bob was helping push through some companies that the ophthalmologists had invested in and everything. And so it went to trial and there was a hung jury. Oh, there was a hung jury. Uh, there was there was 10, actually 10 of the jurors wanted to acquit. And the reason is, is that the state could not produce a smoking gun. All really? Right. See, and when see, they say when see, they say that smoking gun is difficult, man. When they say smoking when it's gun, conversations over coffee. Well, the problem is that Bob and this ophthalmologist have been friends for a long time. So when he invited him down to his villa, it was just him That's asking a his friend. Occurrence, yeah, yeah, of course. So what's interesting is uh, uh, Senator Melendez said that he did not testify uh, in that trial because of time considerations. So you see, there was this juror and this juror had set up before the trial that she was going to go on vacation. And so she asked the judge and the prosecutor and the defense attorney, she said, if I can't, uh, you know, if the trial isn't over by then, can I still be excused to go on this vacation? Okay. Yeah. And they said, yeah, sure. That's fine. So then Bob used that and said, well, I didn't testify because it would have drug it out a few days. And then that juror would have been excused. And then they would have had to bring in a new juror and that would have stretched things that, you know, made it a mess and all that good stuff. That juror who had to go on vacation was at his rally the other night. Oh, you don't when say. When he won re-election wearing a Melendez shirt. Say it ain't so. Yeah, but uh, way to go, uh, New Jersey. <laughs> you elected yourself one hell of a dirty senator, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and and it is just an opinion since he hasn't been convicted. Hey, he hasn't no been convicted. No libel charges this I'll put it way. to you like this. The Department of Justice is going to try again. Yeah, So good. the Department of Justice thinks they got him. I mean, uh, and, the, the, the election commission, the, the, the ethics commission. Yeah, yeah. The Senate Ethics Committee admonished him. And, yeah. and the, uh, the, the Department of Justice, that investigation goes back three years. That investigation Dang. started under Democratic President Obama into this Democratic senator. So, yeah. so I mean, it, <laughs> for them to go after a sitting senator is kind of a big deal. I promise you they didn't do it with nothing. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we also need to give a huge round of applause to the good people of Iowa oh boy. who flipped three of uh, their representative seats over to Democrat. The one that they left intact. Is owned by Mr. Steve King. How did this happen? The most racist piece of shit in the House of Representatives. <laughs> How did this happen, man? Oh, man? This is the guy who denounced a Republican National Congressional Committee member for supporting a candidate who had a same-sex partner. Uh, apparently, he was mad that they put photos of the couple on, on mailers yep. and said it's hard to write checks to them when they do stuff like that. What a, yeah. what a piece of trash. No, he, so all those people... Who I was, I was like, oh, I wonder where all these evil people are just voting for evil. Well, apparently they're in Iowa voting for Steve <laughs> King. Because if you had heard about these statements and you still voted for the man, shame, shame, shame on you. Oh, no, he's, I mean, Steve King is is just, he's an endless well of terrible things. Uh, just last week, uh, he said that he hoped that Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor would elope to Cuba. So that conservatives could solidify their control of the Supreme Court. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, he also endorsed uh, Faith Goldie, uh, who was, you know, thinking about being mayor of Toronto and running on a platform of preventing white genocide. And I'm not going to go into Faith Goldie. Wow. But trust me, folks. Bruh. 
Faith Goldie is about as white supremacist as it gets. I mean, mm. she, she really is. So I guess that makes that white nationalism question that, that Trump called racist a little more pointed right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we're electing the Steve Kings of the world on the Republican side, that's that's a little that's a little creepy, a little scary. To me, the kicker is uh, he was once asked, and I think this was at the convention in 2016, he was uh, talking about white people's contribution to society versus other groups. And he said, I'd ask you to go back through history and figure out where are these contributions that have been made by these other categories of people that you're talking about? Where did any other subgroup of people contribute more to civilization? I mean, I didn't even go to college, <laughs> but uh, I don't need a history book, man, to tell me about the the, the history of the world and the contributions of all of the people yeah. on the planet. Man, I, I'm not saying, okay, look, <laughs> I know, I know there are people out there, you know, I, I'm not saying that there aren't just swaths of racist people out there, but I have to believe that w one of the reasons that Stephen or that Steve King got reelected was to own the lips. You know what I mean? Like, like, look at Iowa. Three out of four of their of their House of Representative members got flipped. I mean, it's yeah. it's not like, and in this one district, and I get you, districts can be small sometimes. You know, it, it depending on how the Republicans have drawn the lines. But anyway, um, I, you know, maybe maybe all those people were just like, okay, but he does his shit every day, and I have to believe. That a large, th these people are just like locked in, you know, he's the R, he's the Republican. You maybe, know what I'm maybe saying? it's, maybe it's voter fraud and, and election tampering. I mean, uh, it could be. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe man. they need a recount in Steve King's district. Of course, uh, God bless him. Like I said, uh, you know, Republicans across the board, uh, it, it's worth noting that Chris Collins and Duncan Hunter got reelected. Chris Collins uh, is a representative from New York. I believe Duncan Hunter's from California. Both of them are under indictment right now. Wow. You can get reelected while you're under indictment. I got to say, man, that's that's better than uh, old Dennis Hoff, right? Dennis Hoff, owner of uh, the famous Bunny Ranch brothel yep, in yep. Nevada, actually got elected after he died. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know who he was running against, man, but that person's got to feel pretty terrible. 60, he, he beat out the Democratic candidate with 63% of the vote, and the dude is dead. <laughs> and we're talking, he's a brothel owner, man. Yeah, yeah. He wrote a book. What? What was the art of the art of the pimp? I think no, it was. It was a play on the art of the deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another another big winner the other night was Hank Johnson of Guam is going to tip over thing. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are real familiar with this guy, but uh, Hank Johnson said in Congress a few years back uh, that he was worried that we were going to be stationing eight thousand Marines on the island of Guam because it's not a very big island, and he was afraid that that additional weight was going to cause the island to tip over and capsize. If we are being brutally honest, <laughs> he looked really, really high. <laughs> I gotta say, yeah. but he did look serious at first. I was, you know, I heard, I heard the quote and I'm like, surely he, he said that as a joke, you know, Guam's a small Island. And if we put, <laughs> it's just going to tip guys. Like he's yeah. joking. No, I looked at the clip. He looks like he's being deadpan <laughs> dead serious. Serious, <laughs> man. He's either the greatest troll that ever lived or he really is that dumb. Hey, Kentucky kind of won too, right? Kim Davis got tossed. Yeah. Hooray. Yeah. No, Hooray. Yeah. Kim Davis is out. 
And uh, especially for you, the Bigfoot porn guy won yes. over in Virginia. Denver, uh, was it Denver Riggles or Riggleman? Yes, he something did. Like that? Of course, it's Riggles. <laughs> yeah, Bigfoot erotica, man. And uh, yeah, he's taking it all the way to Congress. Apparently, that's not a not a vote killer for those folks. <laughs> it wouldn't be for I, me, man. I, you know, we're highlighting some people that are that are you know kind of outside the. The norm, you know, uh, Bigfoot erotica. I don't want to kink shame, but Bigfoot erotica and everything. Um, but at the same time, you know, I looked, I looked across the board, and I saw a lot of candidates who got elected, man. And I, I was just sitting there thinking, like, hey, I, I, that's not, that's not who you wanted. You know what I mean? Like, I, just looking, like, I don't, I don't think, I think that there's a sizable amount of people in in our district who voted for Amy McGrath and who voted for Andy Barr and, and neither one of them is what they wanted. Mm. They weren't, they weren't going to be happy either way, you know? And, and that, that really snaps into focus every election night for me. You know what I'm saying? When I look at the choice, look down in Florida at Andrew Gillum losing his governor, oh right? boy, I, which may be probably the best preview you're ever going to see uh, for 2020 because DeSantis who won the governorship, I mean, you could not embrace Trump any harder than that guy did. I mean, he, he's, if there ever was a Trump surrogate, that's a Trump surrogate. Meanwhile, Gillum is over there talking uh, unabashedly uh, about socialism. In his concession speech, he was referring to everybody as the collective. Mm. I mean, you know, just, just not caring. You know what I How mean? How close was that, was that race? It was, uh, it, was, it was pretty close, but not as close as the, uh, the Senate race that they had. The Senate race that they had, I don't even think uh, the uh, Democratic candidate has conceded yet. It's, it's real close. Elections in Florida are super close. You know what I mean? Like just across the board, you know what I mean? So I, it was less oh, yeah, than, I remember the whole Jeb Bush fiasco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was, it was less than a, uh, I think that one was a full percentage point. And like I said, the Senate race is less than a percentage point, but not enough to trigger a recount as far as I know going into this episode. Um, but anyway, I don't think that that's where we're heading folks. We're heading for, for a, a like Trump versus socialism. I mean, I really do think that that's that's what our choices are going to end up being, and I don't think anybody's happy with that. That's what it's looking like. But, but I'd I like to meet somewhere. Down. I'd like to meet somewhere in the middle. I'd like yeah. to see fiscal conservatism, sane immigration policy, sane sane gun laws. Uh, you know, minor changes with background checks and things, yeah. and and safety measures. You know, there there are some things I would agree to, but I feel like, like you said, it's it's all or nothing. Yeah. You know, we can we can jump on the Democratic bandwagon in ten years, we'll have no guns. Yeah. You know, we can jump on the Republican bandwagon, and in ten years, we'll have no transgenders or gays outside of their house. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I I ah I, I, I want <laughs> yeah. something. I there's, want something in between. There's slivers of hope. I mean, I think I think. In a sense, it is encouraging that Beto did as well as he did against Ted Cruz. Um, it yeah. says a lot about Texas. Why are people still saying Beto should run? He lost to a guy who <laughs> lost to Trump. <laughs> yeah, no. That's not, no, that's I hear not you anything there. to hang your head on. I don't care what the percentage was. But I think I think but I think it is encouraging because to me, Beto is an Obama clone. I agree. 100%. And if that if that can gain traction in Texas. You know what I mean? How much of that is the blue wave and the resentment? But I mean, I don't, I don't think the clearly looking across the nation, the blue wave itself wasn't going to carry Beto to where he got to. So some of that was people, you know, looking for that more common you yeah, know, middle enough. ground type of dude. Fair you enough. know what I mean? 
So it's it's not exactly the brand of you know middle ground that I would, you know uh, the, the executive orders and all that stuff. I mean that's what we got. We gotta we gotta find like a new a new paradigm. But fair enough, there are some people looking. Right. You know what I mean? So we also had some interesting ballot measures that got voted on these midterms. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in Kentucky, we had Marzi's Law up for vote, and uh, the whole circumstance was quite a bit ludicrous to me. Um, the wording on the ballot was really funny, and I don't it was think really funny. I, I don't <laughs> think anyone really, uh, really understood what they were voting on. We had like Kelsey Grammer on TV commercials mm-hmm. um, saying, you know, I'll vote on Marzi's law, vote on Marzi's law. Well, what is Marzi's law? I started asking around. No one has any idea what Marzi's <laughs> law is or what it does. So Marzi's law is a, is a set of um, a set of rights that that states have been granting to victims of crimes mm-hmm. um, that are supposed to put these victims on equal standing in the court right. uh, with the accused. And and here's the text that uh that voters were faced with when they they entered the voting booth hmm. uh are you in favor of providing constitutional rights to the victims of crime including the right to be treated fairly with dignity and respect and the right to be informed and have a voice in the judicial process and i think any self-respecting person reading that question would go of course, of course. how could you ever <laughs> say no to that I but, mean, and, and while the word constitutional is in there yeah they never say are you voting on a constitutional amendment, yeah. you know, to Kentucky's constitution? So I think that was a little weird. And, and there's actually there's, a court case. Way that agrees. too much emotional language in that. And yes, a, uh, a Kentucky judge actually said that even if we voted on the measure and it passed, he was staying it. It wouldn't become law. And it's actually, it's going to get kicked up to the Supreme Court. So it passed uh, 63% to 37%, I yes. think it was. Um, but it will not take effect until the Supreme Court looks at how that was written. And and Marzi's law is one of those things that's that's being sold as as you know this common sense great thing. But there are some downsides to Marzi's law, and mm. it and it flips some really important things kind of on their head. The ACLU agrees. Um, the you know domestic violence organizations agree. Um, so so a couple of the things that happen with Marzi's law, uh, for one, victims have the right to be part of the process throughout the entire uh, sentencing and everything. So even even after sentencing. So in in California, when they passed Marzi's Law, parole hearings stretched out from like three and a half years to Mm -hmm. seven years between parole hearings because victims would show up and say, hey, I don't want this guy having parole. And so they wouldn't. So there are delays. They have rights to appeal. There are some really weird things in there, like uh, like the, the right to deny being interviewed. Yeah. Um, the right to deny discovery requests yeah, no, from the can, other side. So, so the victim doesn't have to do pretrial uh, testimony or interviews or stuff like that to, on behalf of the defendant, like and, for the defendant. And I understand like trying to create a sense of equality in the court system between victor, victim and, 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 and accused, but we protect the accused for a reason. Yeah, no, actually, I, yeah, I don't actually understand trying to set up equality in that sense in the courtroom. And actually the ACLU agrees with me and it speaks to what you were exactly, exactly what you were saying. The ACLU said, uh, Marcy's law is premised on the notion that victims should have equal rights to defendants. This opening salvo is a seductive appeal to one sense of fairness. However, the notion that victims rights can be equated to the rights of the accused is a fallacy. It ignores the very different purposes. These two sets of rights serve. 
The U.S. Constitution and all 50 state constitutions guarantee defendants' rights because they are rights against the state, not because they are valued more by society than victims' rights. Defendants' rights only apply when the state is attempting to deprive the accused, not the victim, of life, liberty, or property. They serve as essential checks against government abuse, preventing the government from arresting and imprisoning anyone for any reason at any time. Right. And and I think that's what people fail to see, and I understand because it's an emotional thing. Hell, look at the way that that provision was written on the ballot. It's it's emotional. There's too much emotion in it, right? And and you and you do you feel bad for victims and stuff. But this isn't. They're they're trying to set up a situation where it's like PVP, where it's like it's like this person's rights versus this person's well, rights. Well, I think if if uh, if you have the right to face your accuser. Yet yeah. at the same time, we're saying, well, you can skip the interview. Uh, you yeah. know, you have the right to remain silent. You know, you've made this accusation, but yeah. you don't really have to talk about it anymore. You know, you have the right to privacy. We don't have to know who you are anymore. Right. Like, I think it's a little messed up. Plus, I think the whole purpose of of separating the just or creating a justice system was to was to get away from mob justice and vengeance. Right. And, and we're adding vengeance back into sentencing. Like, yeah. You're, you're supposed to, the judge is supposed to be removed from that process. So, so he says, well, yes, I've seen a hundred of these cases. I've seen a hundred murders and I know this murderer is, is, you know, way worse than other murders. So I'm going to give him 65 years. You know, this is yeah. super heinous. Every victim feels like they're the person who, who aggrieved them was super heinous. Yeah. Like yeah. you, you, you show up at parole hearings for vengeance, not to mention that a lot of the rights that are, there are some good things in Marzi's law. I have to mm-hmm. say, um, you know, the, the not- right to be notified. Yeah. The notification thing I completely support of someone who has attacked you being up for parole. The thing is, is those things are already in Kentucky state law. Yeah. We already have those rights. And, and to me, you already have the right to to contact a parole board, right? You right. can write a letter to the parole board asking them, you know, no. And now here with Marzi's law, we enshrine it um, and say you have the right to be present, mm-hmm. um, which means you know delays and and hoops and yeah. and plus well, and, you get to go be super uh, emotional at 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 the appeal, like yeah. And they extended the time frames. Uh, I mean, so so they actually they knew that was going to happen, and like you said, the seven year. Now parole hearings are like seven years long and stuff out yeah. in California. They knew that was going to happen. So the laws actually expand the amount of time with which it can happen. So you you very clearly did start to affect someone's due process and right to a speedy trial mm. at the expense of this person getting peace of mind. And And I understand, like I said, I get it. I understand the notification thing. I think... That if you have been wronged by someone, then you do want to know if they got out. Oh, sure. You do want to know if they're up for parole. You want at least the option and everything. But at the same time, that's it. I'm sorry. You can't be a part of this anymore because you're emotionally involved. Right. I thought it was very interesting that one of the provisions uh, that for sure was in California's, and I have not verified that it was in ours, but in California for sure, part of the law says that uh, the judge has to take the victim's safety into account uh, when deciding uh, bail and stuff. Mm. And so here's the thing, like, don't they already? When was that not happening already? Yeah. Right. So now it just creates another layer with which we can go after the judge. If we don't feel like the bail was sufficient. But, but the thing is, is like, again, this, this reminds me back when we were talking about the Brock Turner case. Right. And I was saying, People are getting up in arms about the sentence that this guy got. Well, stop for a second and think about what you really want. 
And and I think that here, well, just I want like Brock Turner to be drugged behind a dumpster and boot kicked. Well, but. I think here, just like with Brock Turner, we 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 are allowing the emotion of what has happened to the victim to affect our impartiality when mm. we look at the case and look at what we stand to gain or lose by the decision that's made. And that, my friend, is exactly why we don't do shit like what Marcy's Law wants us to do. Right. Right. You know what I mean? No, we bring that emotion into into sentencing and yeah. we guarantee it. We enshrine that emotional response for the rest of for the rest of the perpetrator's life. And and you know, part of me, there's part of me that understands. I get it. Um, because if someone committed a heinous crime against me or my family, um, I probably wouldn't let it go very quick. But there's also a, a large part of me that believes in rehabilitation. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen people come from from being terrible people and doing terrible things to being fine, upstanding, good people. Um, I believe in transformation. I believe we should be trying uh, to rehabilitate people. And this is is the total opposite of that. You know, I feel what, like materially, like as a thought experiment for a second, what does the victim being at the parole hearing, which don't get me wrong, I think they have a right to be heard, right? Like, so, so if you've had somebody murdered by whoever is up for parole, you most certainly have a right, you know, I think that you should be able to stand up and say your piece you know, add a parole or send a letter, you know, what have you, but what materially are they adding? Okay. Because, so let's say that, uh, you know, this person's mom gets up and gives this, this heart wrenching piece of oratory, right. And that affects this guy's sentencing. This person's mom isn't so good of a speaker. You know what I'm saying? So like, when it, when it comes down to it, it's it's the question of the crime that the guy committed and where he's at on his journey, right? Does the pain that they feel and how well they can express it really change where how we should be treating him based on what he's done? Right. Well, I, you know, I, I think that speaks right to the heart of it. I think there's some cases where maybe a family member shows up and says, you know, I've I've thought long and hard about this and I've let go of the hatred in my heart and I think he should be released. Like yeah. like maybe that it's happens true. every it, no, it every happens now sometimes. And again, you know? yeah, yeah. But no, I think overall we're asking for vengeance to be injected uh into the system and I I don't think that's okay. I don't think that's the direction we want to go. I've also uh heard cries uh you know of lawyers saying um that this kind of pushes us towards a uh, against the innocent until proven guilty right. idea. And that's because as soon as an accuser makes a claim, they automatically are granted the rights of a quote unquote victim, victim. Yeah. under Marzi's law. No, so that's, that's before point. a conviction even happens. Yeah. We're saying this person is a victim and they have the rights of a victim. And, you know, that's a small that's like no, a small th- hiccup to I me. Think, no, I think stuff like that matters, man. I think like the way you frame things in your head like that, I, I no, I really do think stuff like that matters. It plays out in bigger ways later. Yeah. You know? I, I, and, and overall, the effects of Marzi's law in California was was longer sentences, mm-hmm. um, longer time between parole hearings. And, and I think most of the liberals who voted for Marzi's law based on the language yeah. Would those are things that they don't want. Right, right. Um and, and actually if you look at the the House votes for for Marzi's law, I think they were overwhelmingly Republican. Yeah. Uh yeah. they were there's definitely some bipartisanship. There were some D's on the list, but yeah. I think it was overwhelmingly, you know, pushed through onto the ballot yeah. by Republicans. No, when you read it in its raw form, it's it's a Republican bill. You can tell it's like stick it to those evil criminals. Right. It's you know it's a I mean? crime that's, bill. That's exactly. It it's a yeah. tough on crime bill. Yeah, it yeah. really is. And it and it, and it's been sold. Um, you know, to the opposite side with this real flowery language and, and, and Kelsey Grammer yeah. on TV making appeals to emotion. And, 
And let me tell you, no one who voted on this thing knew what they were voting on. Yeah, no. And that, to me, that's that's a disgrace. And that's and and that goes back to the way you know we we said all that and we said our piece on Marcy's Law, but let's not get lost in the shuffle. We got to do a better job across the board, folks, with these these ballot measures, like how yes. they're written. Like when it when thank God that judge like made that ruling, and I hope the Supreme Court carries it out because let me tell you something. If you lay out what Marcy's Law is, or there's a sufficient campaign, and and people want it. I, you know, that's, that's sure. where I live. I live in a Republic. You know what I'm saying? That's fine. But that's not, that's not what we're after, nah, man. man. That, 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 you know, that's completely disingenuous. Um, a, a more positive note, uh, was actually down in Florida. They voted to, uh, restore the right to vote to felons. That's right. Um, and since they overwhelmingly vote Democrat, we're going to welcome in the blue wave in Florida come 2020. Well, you know, actually, to tell you the truth, man, uh, there's a good chance. And, and it's really interesting because, as we said earlier, and as was evidenced Tuesday night, Florida elections are super close. And we're about to inject, I think, something like uh, 1.4 million yeah, new over, voters. Yeah, over a million system. voters. And, so, and I love this. We've talked about voting rights for felons yeah. on the show before. I feel like you've paid your debt to society, mm-hmm. man. You don't don't strip your citizenship, man. You're no, still and they, a citizenship. And, it goes right back to rehabilitation. And, and they knocked it out of the park. If you remember, my one qualm about that was if somebody was like uh, still going through parole and stuff. Uh-huh. It's not until you finish parole. You have to be done with your sentence. But then yeah. you you get the vote. You no, pay your debt. You get beautiful. to vote, man. No, it's 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 beautifully written and well done. And you know, way to go, people. I wonder what that ballot measure looked like. It's probably pretty simple. Do you support the right of felons to vote? Uh, no, <laughs> actually, actually, it was drier, and it was just like it was the way they actually kind of should be written. If I remember correctly, it was I cannot remember like what its number was, but it was like, do you support Proposition Nine? to uh, restore voting rights to felons. I mean, beautifully just, just done. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like that's pretty much Kentucky. Where are we at? Yeah. Speaking of places, Kentucky is woefully behind fucking Utah legalized medical weed <laughs> over the midterms. Fucking Utah. Weed is Kentucky's number one cash crop. That meme has been around since before memes existed. Yeah. I remember hearing that when I was nine years old, like, Oh, how is that? It's illegal. Yeah. Well, I wonder why it's still illegal in Kentucky because these crooked ass politicians are taking bucket loads of cash <laughs> from Appalachian pot growers to keep this shit illegal. Utah, man. <laughs> Utah, it's not right. Uh, Michigan and Missouri also joined Utah in legalizing weed in some form. Uh, Michigan went all out. They full legalization. I think uh, Missouri was still medical. How um, in the world, in the face of all this, how can how can we still maintain a schedule one for marijuana? I, I don't understand. Like this is like flabbergasting. And yeah. thank God Sessions is gone. Sessions, get out of here. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll see some change. I don't know. But yet another you know list of uh, yet another added to the list of states who are coming around. Yeah, yeah. And and you were talking about that uh, the tourism. The cannabis tourism, it act fast. Yeah. It's, it's, it's evaporating quickly, yes, man. Yes, it is. No, um, Kentucky's going to be the last one. Some other uh, notable things that passed. Uh, Arkansas and Missouri voted to raise their minimum wage uh, to 11 and $12, respectively. Oh, boy. Uh, that's interesting to me, uh, Arkansas. You know, that, yeah. was, that was kind of a surprise. And this is coming right after Amazon raised minimum their minimum wage internally to fifteen dollars yeah, an hour. Yeah, so yeah. I feel like you know economy's booming and people are actually raising wages all over the place, <laughs> whether they're forced to or not. In, in yeah, some in cases, some spots in some yeah. uh, Washington uh, tightened gun control. Uh, among other things, you got to be twenty one years old now to purchase a firearm. 
you can still go to the army if you're 18, I believe, in the state of Washington, <laughs> just saying. And presumably uh, handle a firearm <laughs> yeah, in the army, yeah. I would assume. Uh, Massachusetts uh, prohibited discrimination on gender identity. Um, I think we're going to see more and more of those types of laws. And I think sooner or later, we're going to have like a Jordan Peterson moment. We're going to have somebody tie it into hate crimes yeah. and the pronouns. And we're well, going to have and, our... And I think there's probably an intersection with Trump changing the definition of, of gender, you know? An intersection, huh? <laughs> you clever you like devil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, Idaho, Utah, and Nebraska expanded Medicaid coverage eligibility. Yay mm-hmm. on them. Uh, Montana measure failed, and uh, Kentucky, as usual, is behind the times. I think we've been yeah. slashing Medicare <laughs> eligibility <laughs> for, for many years. Um, Arkansas required photo ID to vote, yep. which is something that I support. And it's uh, wild at Arkansas. What is going on in Arkansas, <laughs> man? Maryland and Michigan passed same-day voter registration, which is, again, awesome. Show up at the polls. You're unregistered. We'll register you right now. Go ahead and it vote, buddy. It can be awesome if it doesn't go awry like up in Minnesota, like we were talking about. Like, you know, Fair I mean, enough. So, Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there was, uh, there was one more thing that I would like to talk about that happened uh, over the course of this election. And, and don't get me wrong, a lot of this you know, took place on Twitter and stuff. I don't take it too seriously, but a lot of times on the show, I will, I will cite something from Vox.com. Oftentimes they do great and investigative work. They do. They do. And as a, as a, as a voice from the left, I got to tell you, it's maybe one of the ones that I trust more than anybody else. However, Ezra Klein who is the editor in chief of Vox.com? I do not care for her very much. <laughs> Tell us why. <laughs> that is that is a bit of an understatement, and um, it's because of shit like this. All right. So the day before the election, he he tweets out this. He says, "I don't think people are ready for the crisis that will follow if Democrats win the House popular vote, but not the majority." After Kavanaugh, Trump, Garland, Citizens United, Bush v. Gore, etc., the party is on the edge of losing faith in the system, and reasonably so. What is the House popular vote? It is It is nothing. It is not a thing. <laughs> There's a House popular yeah, vote? Yeah, okay, so I mean, I guess... We're going to tally up like all the people who voted blue and all the people who voted red, and that's yeah. we're going to make that the popular and vote? call it a popular vote. Like... So for you to come out and say, dude, people are going to be really pissed if this imaginary metric that I come up with, if it's not the way that I think it should be, people are going to be real upset. There's going to be a crisis. Dude, that's so in division. Like now he basically gave people another reason to be pissed off. Right. And I'm not saying that nobody has ever looked at at the popular vote for the House and all that stuff, but people understand what that is, right? Like, so if you that's take a statewide the, vote, there's no, 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 no. The the House is districts, right? So if you the Senate is statewide, and and we will get to that in a second, good sir. But uh, but no, if you take all these elections and you add up all the numbers and stuff, sure, it's something that you can look at and you can say, oh, I think with this election, the Democrats were like plus nine percent. You know what I'm saying in the popular vote or whatever. But but how many Democratic incumbents were up? Were they in blue states or red states? Uh, was somebody dead on the ballot? You know what I mean? Like there are so many questions that come into play that you can't do that. You can't take all these little districts and add it up and call it a popular vote. 
it, it's not the same as a general election. Not everyone was voting. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, ah, it really pisses me off. So Joy Reid, God bless her, Joy Reid picks this up and runs a mile with it. She says, a hugely important point just now by Ezra Klein, if the outcome of the midterms is that Republicans lose the popular vote for House and Senate, as they did with the White House, but due to gerrymandering, emerge still controlling all three and the Supreme Court legitimacy crisis. So you start seeing all these voices pop up, and this is pre-election. This is like, you know, before all the results started coming in. And basically it was like it was couching things, right? It was like, okay, we expect this blue wave, but if things go bad, this is what we're going to point to. So y'all get ready. <laughs> Everybody get your pitchforks. I've invented something for us to be pissed off about, right? The other thing that bugs me about it is, did you notice that right there, she said if Republicans lose the popular vote for House and Senate, uh, blah, 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 but due to gerrymandering emerge still, right? So I get what she's saying, right? But unfortunately, a bunch of jackwagons on Twitter started talking about, uh, well, you know, in this election, the Republicans lost the popular vote uh, for Senate. And the only reason that Democrats lost those Senate elections was because of gerrymandering. <laughs> okay. You, you can't gerrymander <laughs> a statewide election, man. And that's, yeah, <coughs> that's where that comes into play. And yeah, people were nailing them for it. They were like, oh, these weird shaped states. You know what I mean? It, the Senate thing gives you a perfect example of why you can't do this. This House popular vote thing, this Senate, you know, in the state of California, the top two people finishing in the primary get to run for the Senate seat. The other, the other night in California, two Democrats ran in California for the Senate seat. California is our most populous state. If the Democrats didn't win the popular vote for Senate, something would be egregiously terribly, wrong. Terribly awry. And I think, I think the guy, uh, there was a guy at Washington, uh, the Washington Post, his name was Aaron Blake, and he, he just kind of, you know, he, he hit it right on the head. While Democrats lost seats on Tuesday night, they actually won most of the races that were held, at least 22 of the 35 seats, and possibly a couple more. That's 63% or more of the seats, despite them winning just 55% of the popular vote. Sounds pretty unfair <laughs> to Republicans, right? You know, I mean, stop playing with the numbers. I mean, to try to get people pissed. And that's what Ezra Klein did. Dude, that's what, that's what, that is the era we're in now, though, is this weird place where, where we'll pick numbers that agree with our position just to strengthen our position. Like, that's that's where we're at. No one's going to stop it. Ezra Klein's not going to stop it. Joy Reid's not. Trump's not going to stop it. Yeah. It works. I it guess. works because people hear it and yeah. they change their minds and they they cling on to it. And, it, you know, they, they it's confirmation bias. Just, it's another way they to confirm sit there and their say position. we're being screwed. You yeah, know absolutely. I mean? Get so mad he, and he riled up. He doubled down on it, of course, even even with the results as they happen. He come out the next day and he said, uh, or actually, I think this was election night. He said, New York Times is projecting Democrats win a 9% margin in the House popular vote. I'm sure that they were, you know, with just keeping track of that all night. Uh, the last time we saw a margin like that was 08 amidst a collapsing economy and a loathed war. Unemployment is 3.7% right now. America isn't at war, he said. Uh, a margin this big is nuts. A pure repudiation of Trump. Like, dude, it's propaganda. Like, you're you're for real going to say we're not at war? 
Like, I, I get it, man. Like, you know, we've been in Afghanistan a while. Like, we've been in some of these places a while. But Ezra Klein on the left, you're going to say that we're not at war, man? This like, whole thing is upside down. It's about as upside down as Democrats marching in the street when when Trump fires Sessions. Well, not fires, but demands Sessions retire. Yeah. Everything we're in the upside down, man. Yeah, I. It, you know, as much as as much as like I said, we will continue to cite stories from Vox so long as they do quality work. I I think part of the reason I'm so mad at Ezra Klein is because there was a time where like I respected him. Mm. Um, but like, uh, just do better, man. Well, and it's, it's, it's the flawed messenger, man. He can, he can be a terrible person in some avenues and still, (laughs) and still manage to oversee quality reporting. I don't think you throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. No, good point. Good point, man. Speaking of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, as you all know, we have an election coming up for a uh, host of the podcast, and we've been incredibly forthcoming about, uh, yeah. you know, locations, polling places, mm-hmm. times they're open, and hopefully you've all registered already. Yeah, not a, not an ounce of voter suppression here. We've been very <laughs> forthright hey, with uh, when you, and where to vote. You got the voting machine cords in the trunk, right? Uh, I got them somewhere, man. All right. Yeah, as long as they're not on the voting machines. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that means that this week, uh, Beanzo is still hot out on the campaign trail, uh, pushing hard. He was he was pretty upset uh, after the ad that ran last week. And, uh, you know, I, I think he, he was starting to sweat. I think he was starting to think that he might lose this thing. I mean, yeah, if he could pronounce Dr. Robert Zubrin, I think he'd be fine. But since <laughs> he was, can't. What was that name? Zubrin? What? Not Zerbin. Yeah. Zubrin. That's right. No, but uh, he did, however, uh, send us a tape uh, that unfortunately we are contractually obligated to play, even though it is way too close to this election. And I think that that constitutes a violation. But, you know, whatever. I don't Uh, think it's going to sway voters. I I don't either. Uh, Let's see what we got. Roll it. Listeners. I'm not going to try to come out here and razzle-dazzle you with pie-in-the-sky promises or tug at your heartstrings with empty platitudes about our nation's veterans and the future of our children. I think you folks are too smart for not only this show as currently hosted, but those old, worn-out political tactics. Instead, I'm just going to ask you to pull up a chair, let your old buddy Beanzo rap with you for a second. Last week... You no doubt heard the malicious and dirty attack ad my opponent's Sense and Theory produced. I'd hoped that we could keep this race clean and stick to the issues. Yes, I did call my opponents two idiots, but in fairness, I was unaware that it was a point of contention. I'm an ignorant wretch. Sense and Theory clearly aren't the hosts this podcast needs. I could sit here and talk to you about the difference in our policy stances, especially regarding prescription drug prices. But as your dog and determined pursuer of truth, and to alleviate all trace of bias, I say we go straight to the source. Let sense tell you what their environmental policy will look like. Burning coal is not bad, coal is good. Let's hear theory sound off on exciting new initiatives they plan to push going forward. I was like super excited about Nazis. From the mouse of babes. (laughs) Surely it can't get much worse than that. We all have a little bit of dog kicker in us. If you kick a dog, good on you. I stand corrected. Oh, hell yeah, yeah, I'm a pedophile. And appalled, as should you all. Not just because of the atrocious and awful things that Sense and Theory stand for, 
but because we've all been a part of a show led by two guys ignorant enough to pick a clip fight with a producer. I got more receipts than the IRS, y'all. I sincerely wish the choice you fine folks face this November was simply a matter of who had better hair, sounded more confident on television, or successfully kept from committing to a position to give you all the vague impression that they actually believe what you do and not what the dark money tells them to. You know, like a normal election. But unfortunately, the truth here is pretty clear. A vote for sense and theory is a vote for Nazi pedophile dog-kicking climate change deniers. Vote early. Vote often. Vote not for the Nazi pedophile dog-kicking climate change deniers. What the hell was that? No, I, I've been completely taken out of context. Dude, those clips were I, edited. I yeah, no, absolutely. They were they were hard edited. That ne- Oh, my God. We're, we're going to lose this election. Okay, no, look. Look, hey, guys, we've been with you for like 40 some odd episodes. We're good at our jobs, is good. right? That's right. Uh, the status quo is great. People love the status yeah, yeah. quo. Besides, he, Re- he messed Rebel- up Dr. Robert Zubrin's he, he name. Did. He's running on fact are overblown. Look how America turned there's out. No it never way. works for South America. I'm telling you guys. Hey, uh, there's people, the, the, the AARP, the NCAA, My P, mom likes the NCAA, the, show. the ACLU is endorsing us. she doesn't us. want the ACLU. Uh, they don't know that man. Uh, no, we've got all kinds of uh, endorsements. T- Taylor Swift loves us. Now that's too far. This is world class producer and fact checker extraordinaire Beanzo of the Sense and Theory podcast. I want to thank you all for suffering through each show to hear the righteous takedowns I drop on the fellas. Please go like and review us on iTunes. It'll mean a lot to the guys, but more importantly, it'll help keep your old buddy Beanzo on the air. There's links to all our social media in the description, and feel free and tell the fellas how wrong they were at Sense and Theory Podcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week to hear Sense and Theory get all up in their feels when I burn all their hard work down again. Beanzo out.